Hi. We're back. And better than ever, um, we also have a special guest today. Um, so the most special, the guest. most special, special. Very <laughs> <laughs> so before joining the faculty at UGA Law, he was the inaugural visiting professor at the University of Kentucky College of Law, where he got his JD. Uh, he served as a judicial clerk on the U.S. Court of Appeals in the Sixth Circuit and practiced in the complex commercial litigation and compellent groups at, I'm going to botch the name, Weil, Gottschall, and... Mangies? You did. Very good. Yeah. Um, Professor Contracts himself, That's Professor right. Kent Barnett. Yay! Yay! <laughs> uh, we really appreciate having you here, Professor Barnett. Thanks for having me. Yes. You're the um, first professor. So yeah. that's oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, we have plans for Professor Birch be later because she has that book coming out. Uh huh. Um, we would love Professor Baradaran. Um, She's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. who do you all have for property? We Turner. have Turner. Turner is amazing. Too. Yeah. Okay. His yeah. own podcast that he does. So you're yeah. a little bit of competition, right? Yeah, but right. he shares. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I follow up with him. Um, but so we really wanted to talk to you. One, okay. we loved you as a professor, Thanks. but also you've just done a lot. A lot of things that we're interested in. We're interested in. Our classmates are interested in. Um, clerking, big law. Now as a professor, so like mm-hmm. all these things. So we just wanted to talk to you about. Some of that. Sure. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. So I guess we'll start at the beginning, which for us is law school. So you went to the University of Kentucky. So mm-hmm. what was it? Just do you remember being a 1L? Was it too long ago? I do remember. <laughs> but, but it's one of those things where you have maybe like 10 memories. Right. And, yeah. and I, I can't remember the whole process. But just, I remember the first class and kind of the first day of getting called on and things right. like that. But outside of that, no, it's just like very small little interactions or some social event, you know, do you remember five minutes of in your head? Uh, but that's about it. But, you know, Kentucky, my guess is is being a one Ellen throughout is very similar to Georgia, except honestly with Georgia, there's more money. So mm-hmm. you, you can, you can feel that there are more resources in the build building than, than we did. But other than that, the student body feels pretty similar to me. A lot of the goals seem pretty similar to me. Um, and I'm sure I had some of the similar kinds of anxiety that everybody <laughs> does. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is you walk in just wondering to yourself, so am I going to be at the bottom of the class? Yeah. And how do I stack up against everybody else? And, and I can't even say I was that competitive about it. I just assumed I'd be towards the bottom, and I didn't <laughs> think much about it, really. I thought, I'll just keep doing what I've always done. And, and, right. and I didn't let people's anxiety influence me too much along the way. Um, but there were, you know, the gunners in, in class. And, and I still remember, you know, like two of them in, in particular, I was like, oh, okay, they're going to be number one. That's who it's going to be. No, it wasn't that way. Oh. <laughs> oh, you know, like, I think one of them ended up around like 50% after the first semester. And the other one, I think he graduated quite low in the class later on. So it was one of those kind of wake up right. calls by yeah. the end of the semester, like, okay, maybe my understanding of the world around me isn't as good as I thought it was, you know, kind of yeah. going into it. Um, but, you know, I just kind of buckled down and did what you were supposed to do. And I think something that was different for me than what I understand to be different for a lot of my current students, what they tell me, is that law school compared to my undergraduate education was not nearly as demanding. So the amount of reading and the time it took to do work in undergrad took me so much longer. And oh, that's interesting. the grading was actually much more difficult than in law school. So to me, when I got to law school, I was like, really? What are you all complaining about? Right. It's like 15 pages. That's nothing. And the the way that the examinations were done, it was pretty similar to my undergraduate experience. So there, there just it wasn't that new to me. The harder part was getting used to getting maybe called on in such detail. Um, most mm-hmm. of the classes I had had in undergrad were pretty small, some, you know, like six people, seven people. So you got called on every day. But it wasn't this kind of interrogation yeah. that you know, law school <laughs> takes you under as you're going through all the facts and what did you think about this and that footnote. And all. It wasn't as much like that. So that took a little bit of getting used to. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where you kind of make it through the first semester like you all are starting to figure out now and you start kind of plotting your life a little bit and figuring out what kind of law do I like or not like and am I going to like law better or less than I like law school? Right. What's that change yeah. going to be like? So to me, that was kind of 1L year. Then, you know, once you do well, the first semester's like, oh, okay, I guess maybe this is my new path that I'm doing and maybe I'm actually kind of good at this, right. but, you know, and kind of settling in. Um, to figure out what the next two years are going to hold. Yeah. Yeah. So in that vein of, I mean, now we're getting ready and we're already having like OCIs and we're in this massive job, like 
extravaganza where we all need something to do this summer. Um, So what advice do you have for students about that? So do we, if we get, if we did well and we have the chance to do big law, but that's not exactly what we're, you know, interested in long term, should we take that chance now? Should we just get some kind of experience doing something we're more interested in? So should we be looking at the type of experience we can get overall or to be able to say, hey, I did big law my for one else summer? Okay, so I'll try to allay anxiety yeah. <laughs> first off from all this. What I tell students routinely is it does not matter what you do during your first summer. I think you should do something legal, but instead of thinking of some kind of hierarchy where if you don't land at this particular spot, you've just ruined the whole course of your life from that point on, mm-hmm. it's not true right. at all. Um, and, and what I usually tell students is don't, don't be me. So like when I went through the process, you know, I'd done well and, and I ended up getting interviews at some large law firms and I didn't get an offer from them. And so I walked away from it in the biggest pity party you could imagine. <laughs> and I assumed I'm terrible at this. Nobody wants to work with me, have dinner with me, you know, like I'm going to be terrible at this. I, I'm just going to go find something else to do. And, um, I ended up getting a job at a smaller law firm that I wasn't so sure about when when I got the offer for the summer. Mm -hmm. I ended up going, and it turned out to be one of the best experiences I'd had, where one of the women that I worked with, she is still the smartest human being I have ever met, and she had a Yale law degree. She was all but dissertation and economics from Yale, and I mean, (laughs) you were always like five sentences behind her. She was just (laughs) so smart, but very kind, and she would really sit down with me. And she would spend hours, I just can't imagine any anybody else doing this, going through like every sentence of my writing and saying, okay, you shouldn't use this word. You should use this sentence here and frame this argument first. Mm-hmm. And, da, 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 da. and it made me a much better writer. And then later on when I was going through, you know, the 2L markets and clerkship markets, everybody knew who she was. And it was a whole lot of, oh, Katie thought you were good enough? You're good enough. Okay. And it, yeah. it was, you know, a, a validation signal that I could use later. And I never anticipated any of that when I walked into it. I thought, okay, I'll just kind of go and see what it turns into. And it ended up being great. And then when you get to the 2L market, in in distinction to what happened to me on the 1L market, you know, as I tell people, I think I got an offer at every single place I interviewed. And it's not because I'm that wonderful. It's just because there is a demanding 2L market where... 1Ls are kind of useless at a law firm. I mean, you know, there's not much (laughs) that they can do. And then I will tell you, being on the other side, when I was on the hiring side at the law firm, you're seeing people come in. I only remember us talking about what one person did during the summer, and it was a benefit. We liked that he had worked at the SEC, as it turned out, but he didn't end up getting an offer. So Mm. even there, where we talked about it and we even liked it, it didn't Didn't, move the needle. And for the rest of them, I mean, it was a mix of working at tiny firms, large firms, judges, nonprofits. I I don't remember ever discussing it because everyone knows there is no 1L market and you're kind of taking what you can find. And, you know, if you find a job working for a small firm in Augusta, no one is thinking, ah, you know, Justin wants to work at a small firm in Augusta the rest of his life. They're looking at it as he found something (laughs) for the 1L market. And now let's think about what he wants to do going forward. So I'm hoping that allays fears that it doesn't really matter what you do. I I think that definitely does. Just, I think we tend to think of it as like dominoes. That's right. You're on a pathway. Yeah. So if my 1L domino is too small, it's Uh not going to knock over what I want to do later. Um, So I think that's actually very helpful. No. And and when people would even care about it, it's more, they're going to want to reach out to the employer just to figure out, is this a crazy person? (laughs) You know, do they, do they do work when they say they're going to do it? That kind of thing. Um, And then tied to the big law portion of it, should one do big law? I mean, it pays, which that's nice, depending on mm-hmm. what your kind of physical situation is. In general, my advice is, yes, you should go to big law over other options. I think it opens more doors at the end of the day. You know, during your 1L year, I, again, I don't think it's necessary at all, but it's not clear to me why you would turn it down. You would mm-hmm. probably better want to make some of those contacts, get a sense of being in the building and what it feels like to be at a law firm like right. that. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Pivoting a little bit, um, I think the first semester is very different in nature than the second semester because you don't have anything tangible to kind of say, like, this is how I did. Mm -hmm. So, hypothetically, someone (laughs) didn't do as well as they want to. Totally. What is your advice for turning that around and doing better? Assess. Okay. 
what do what part of it is you know you right and what your problems are but also what did you do what did you not do mm-hmm. i mean it, it's one of those things as a professor sometimes it'll leave me going why do i give advice sometimes because i will then talk to people who didn't do as well after their first semester and you ask did you do this that i said this that i said this that i said no i didn't do any of that i didn't think that was best for me and while you understand there's some discretion there in figuring out okay what's good for right. you part of you just kind of wants to strangle them and go <laughs> you don't know yet completely what's best for you because this is a new enterprise for many people when they're coming into reading the way we do thinking about it the way we do answering questions in a way that can be different than what they were mm-hmm. used to um, in, in their undergraduate studies. I would look back at that and say, okay, so when they said, I really did need to go do more practice problems, that I really did need to brief the case, what, what did you not do in all of mm-hmm. that? And think about how does that influence how you did on the exam? And you know, one thing that I, I tend to sit down with students about is if they've got concerns over what the weakness is, going through the questions and figuring out, is there a pattern here? Am I really bad at providing the rule? Do I know it? But I just, I think I said it and I didn't really say it. That's easy to fix, you know, or I'm not good at finding the facts and pulling them out and putting them into the answer. Um, Or did I not know the rules that well? Like I had to really stop and think a lot. You know, the way exams are designed generally is not for you to sit around and think. Mm -hmm. It's, we assume you know that part and you're going to be kind of spitting it out. What I tend to see from students more often than not is, they will tell me a bit of overconfidence in the first semester. It all seemed to kind of make sense in class. Right. I've always done <laughs> yeah, well. Right. How bad could it be, essentially? But, right. you know, you're not used to a curved function, which does, you know, have some effect. And what I, I keep hearing more from students, but I'll leave it to you all to figure out how much you think it's true, is that some of the testing just may be different than what they've been doing in undergrad. And what I hear quite often is it's quite a bit of regurgitation. In, in undergraduate you mm-hmm. know studies it's just tell me what I told you essentially and putting it back on paper and that's not what we do here and so you really have to think am I good at really breaking something down and analyzing and stripping things out yeah. from the problem and putting them into it I think it's you sitting down and making that assessment and I don't even think the professors are going to do it as well as you did but then once you've done it go back to the professor whoever it is you feel comfortable with confirm that's right. what the issue is going through it that makes sense. Yeah, it really does. I mean, I, I can speak from experience. My testing uh, in undergrad was, I wrote a lot of papers, but it was much more along the lines of like exploring a new area and like creating um, creating something new as opposed to grappling with problems. That's right. And, and, and they do encourage this kind of, almost kind of like creative paper writing. Like right. tell, take, take this and then move off in a new direction. Mm-hmm. And there will be a place for that as you'll see more kind of like in your third year where right. you do take these seminars that are much more on that basis. But you know, real world, that's not <laughs> what people are going to do. They're going to say, so like, here's my problem. Now what? And you have to, yeah, yeah and you, exactly. And you have to put it within the structure of whatever the legal, you know, mm-hmm. milieu is that you found yourself. And then, like you say, fix it. That can create some creativity possibilities where you think of, okay, let's think about it. Maybe this would resolve it. This would resolve it. Um, but it doesn't get you around understanding what the, what the, kind of what the property boundaries are. Yeah, right? the oh, world in which you are. Yeah, property. <laughs> Sorry, is, yeah. Is, that, is that painful right now? Yeah. No, it's. I mean, it could, could be worse. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Which actually brings me to my next question. I yeah. think that last semester, you and Professor Birch and Professor Wells did a really good job of packaging yourself as a unit, and we felt like... What does that mean? That's interesting. I don't... Yeah. It just... It all felt, like, very cohesive. Really? It felt and very... I, it's good. Is yeah. that okay. not intentional? Okay. No, not, not, <laughs> not even a little bit. It felt no. very <laughs> intentional. We got... Okay. I mean, we just got three different... Uh, Professor Wells, for instance, he calls on one person per class. You call on, you know, two or three, two or three. Uh, and then Professor Birch, a handful. Half the class, yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah. So exactly. we just got like, I, we just feel like we got every different teaching style, like all at oh, once. That's so we oh. weren't getting bogged down by like uh, super hard cold calls in your yeah, class you. um, <laughs> or anything like that. It, it really felt like a unit. Oh, no, it was not intentional. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny you say it because what we usually hear is there's will tend to happen is every semester there's like one day where one student gets called on in all three classes yeah, and they right. always think we've planned that <laughs> no we've never discussed it at all so no yeah. if anything i'd say that's one of the maybe not in style the way you're talking about but it's actually one concern i have more about legal education more broadly is it's not as cohesive mm-hmm. as i think it should be you know there's there is a, a very strong norm 
and especially for certain faculty that think what I teach in my class is my business and it is my you know, a tenure birthright, essentially, <laughs> to do to do whatever I want in there, and I don't want any kind of uh, oversight into what it is. Right. But actually, in fact, it becomes somewhat problematic because there are certain times you've got to get through certain concepts or you've got to decide, we're going to teach this concept, you know, A, in this class, so you don't get it five times. You know, I always joke, right. there's this one case, you may read it in property, uh, about a haunted house in New York. I think I read it in five different classes. And I really just wanted to look at the professor and go, can you all not figure out for yourselves when we're going to take care of this concept? Mm -hmm. And I don't need to do it over and over again because as you're probably already getting aware, and you'll feel it more as you go. There's so much more we don't talk about because there's, you know, it's limited time. You'll get out there and go, why didn't they cover this, this, this? And to the extent we can make room for it, I think it's better. Yeah, so that actually goes to another question we had. So we, I don't know how recently, but contracts is now only one semester and yeah. four hours, um, where previously it was two semesters and longer. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that has limit? I mean, obviously it's limited the amount that we can cover and the depth that we can cover. Yeah. So are there things that, I mean, what? how does that affect you in teaching contracts? It's faster. <laughs> I mean, really, that's how it feels. Mm-hmm. It feels like I've got to keep things moving a bit more. I, I thought that our earlier system wasn't quite right either. It was mm-hmm. six hours, you know, over two semesters. And that's what I had had in undergraduate right. too, so it, it, or in law school. And that felt normal to me when teaching it. But that makes things drag. I mean, there were times where I would cover a case and like, all right, let's slow this down a little more because i got to yeah. cover an hour with it, you know. Yeah. And I, I would assign more cases than I thought were really necessary for mm-hmm. people taking the bar and things like that. But the the flip side was I had time for several group exercises. So we did quite a bit of drafting in there, and we'd really talk through why you would make drafting choices. And I think students liked doing that, but you had to give a day, essentially, to each one of those. And then I would, on the flip side, do a presentation based on them with essentially anonymous snippets from the different groups. I miss that. And I think mm-hmm. students would have liked that. And it's yeah. a little better than just feeling like you're in the fight of the lecture every right. day. And you, you, know, you get to say, oh, <laughs> this is why this matters. Yeah. And right. here's how, or I know the concept, but then you would see them put it into writing. And usually what you were fighting was they all wanted to sound like a lawyer. And you would you'd take the language of, no, no, don't ever use that word. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. think, think of it this way and make it like your grandmother could understand that kind of thing. Um, what I would do if, if I were king of the world, <laughs> instead of four or six hours, I would actually do five hours. I think in four hours, I can get through most of the content that we did I a need lot. to. Yeah, we did. You know, <laughs> and, we, I, and I paired some back from what we did with mm-hmm. the six hour. Um, but the thing I really regret is we didn't have the drafting time. But if, mm-hmm. I, if you'd give me one hour, it would give me enough during the semester that I could yeah, put yeah. those in. And the faculty at some point is supposed to look back at this and go, so did we do the right thing? Mm-hmm. Is this the smart way of doing it? We'll see if that happens, but that's something I would suggest later on when we get there. Mm. Would you want another hour of contracts? Is that just too much? I mean, well, I guess as a, in a first semester, I wouldn't really have perspective on what that meant. Yeah, it's just the right. world. So, yeah, I would just, yeah. I'd probably just, you know, be as anxious as, as mm-hmm. I was. And I was too. I mean, yeah. I, as I tried to tell people, contracts was the one that scared me the most of any class when I was in there. And it's the one... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the one that it didn't feel like it settled like mm. the other ones. Like, it was just a lot of info that kind of seemed related and kind of didn't. And I had heard essentially horror stories about my contracts professor. Where, Same. Just <laughs> yeah, just, just awful guy. You know? um, where I was told, like, what was it? Like, I think a C-plus is the highest grade he's ever given. Kind of oh he's just awful. And I was like, oh, great. And that's the guy I got. Well, yeah, you know? I loved him. I thought he was great. He just, he didn't you know, stand for ignorance, though. I mean, he expected you to come prepared and be ready. And, you know, indeed, part of the personality I have in the class, it's a little bit of him in it. I mean, I think all of us, when we're up there, we're not completely ourselves. I mean, it's a character you're doing a little bit because I have to be a little more formal than I like to be and yeah. I have to be much a little more intense than I am in real life. And and with with the professor I had, he, he had this just... The, he was, he was, I think, similar to kind of how I am in class, but he also had this just slight bit of, like, smugness mm. about him, and we loved it. <laughs> like, it, we, we could tell it was, like, part of the right. act, too, and we loved it. And actually, when I started teaching, one of my uh, students that I graduated with, she emailed me later, and we'd had this professor, and she said, 
do you do him up there? And I was like, a little bit. She's like, you're just a little smug. Like, just a little bit, you know? <laughs> she's like, great. That's the way everybody should have it. But I think that's it. We're all modeling ourselves on somebody. And you mm-hmm. come in to law school, not only is the whole thing scary, but then you get all these kind of these notions that other people have set up about what the professors are like or what right. the class is like stop listening that's my advice because I tend to find they were wrong about mm-hmm. almost everybody when I heard them kind of good and bad like I would hear this person's great and I would take the class and go why I mean I didn't <laughs> see it at all I mean it was usually a nice person but the teaching right. wasn't that effective you know um so I would just like, keep the open mind and I know there's like the whole law school scuttlebutt but just right. take it with a grain of salt mm-hmm. um so <laughs> As far as the theatrical performance you're putting on in class yeah, yeah. goes. Um, so do you thrive off the look of terror when people get caught? <laughs> no, I actually hate it. Yeah. I don't like the terror because I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. I mean, what right. you're doing is you're, the way I think of it is, it's a balancing act. Mm-hmm. Where I'm trying to encourage you to learn. And I want to see that you've read. And I, and I want to bring out kind of the best in you. And I want you to start getting the confidence from it. On the flip side, it, let's say you've got a bit of the terror. I need you to feel that terror because <laughs> as we always see, I mean, I know from practice and as we always hear from students in the midway through their like 2L clerking or so, that's how everybody else is going to treat you. You know, I mean, when you're in court, there's, you're wasting everybody's time and there's going to be a room with 50 lawyers behind you ready for their motion to come up next. Nobody wants to hear you don't know where it is in the record. Nobody wants to hear, well, you know, you know I haven't really thought about that. That's wasting everyone's time. Doing it with a partner at the firm. I mean, it's just like engaging with a professor. They're not going to have time to the extent they think you've just wasted 10 hours mm-hmm. of research and you don't know what you're talking about. Well, they can't bill that with a client. <laughs> that You've just completely wasted their time with it. So we're trying to get you used to these kind of professional understandings of you may kind of be able to be one way with your peer right. colleagues, but, the, but those who are going to be the judge, the partner, the client they're not going to stand for it. And it's just trying to get you ready right, for this right. kind of new professional space, which I think is even different for some that have had a job mm-hmm. in between where it is a little more kind of peer based and all this law still got a bit of formality and hierarchy in it and just getting you used to it. And, you know, I think it is a little different for most people coming into it, yeah. but no, I don't like the terror. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, most of the time I think, Oh God, I hope they know yeah. it. Oh, I don't want to be mean. Don't make me be mean, you know. I, well, yeah. This semester, I've already been caught on in every class, I think, except for Krim. Okay. And the terror has, it's gone. It's gone now. Yeah, yeah. I just don't, right. not that I don't care, but it just doesn't phase me like it used to. <laughs> so I really do appreciate having, like, having had more difficult cold calls in the past. What's funny you say, because I got a comment one time, like, the, the evaluations, it was a, it was from my administrative law class, and it was from, uh, apparently, a, a third year. And she says, I, I think it was a she, based on something else she said, she said, I still get night terrors from thinking of your cold calls, <laughs> but I'm glad I took the course. Kind of thing. And to me, that's funny because I don't. I mean, we we say kind of the terror right. and all this. I actually think of myself as pretty nice about it. Yeah. Like so, what do you, do you get it? Okay, I'm moving on to the next person because I can't stand too much discomfort, mm-hmm. and I have to kind of move on to something. But I'm like, God, if that's going to terrorize you, just wait till you work for this one partner I yeah, work yeah. for. You know, who would just stare at you until yeah, he got I, an answer. I mean, it, it can be much more intimidating. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that you were somewhere like in the middle of the the spectrum of really? all of our professors because Wells was always like, "I don't have to answer that." But <laughs> that's that's funny. What I was asked. Yeah. He said that in class when someone asked a question. He said, "As a professor, I don't have to answer that." <laughs> I'm gonna have to use that. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, you were just like, oh, yeah. "Okay, okay. <laughs> I write guess. that down." He doesn't have to answer. Um, and then Birch would always just keep it moving or like kind of lead you yeah. to the answer. Just be like, well, it's either this or this. And you said this. So, <laughs> so, uh-huh. so what could it be? Yeah. Right. yeah. What, so I think that you were a good medium. Yeah. The middle. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, there was one colleague I heard, I, you know, I don't know firsthand, but where she would, she was a former colleague. She's not here anymore. That where she would call on you in class and you had to rise, and mm-hmm. one person was the plaintiff, one person was the defendant for everything that they did, and you were it for the day, and you get called on, and she would ask a question, if you didn't know, we'll wait. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then they would sit, and you would have to read the case and figure out again and look oh, yeah. for it. And I always thought, of, like, in some ways, it's effective because mm-hmm. it makes you prepared and mm-hmm. scared people. That I was always, I was considered the softy at that point. She was, the, you know, the hard one to deal with. Um, but sometimes I would think, 
how do you ever get anything done yeah. in class? Like, I, I mean, usually if somebody doesn't know the answer, all I'm thinking in my head is, I don't have time for this. Yeah. I've got 30 seconds devoted to this, and then I've got to move to that. And plus, it was harder with your roles, because I had two sections mm-hmm. that I had to oh, keep yeah. together. And candidly, they moved faster through things. So I would call on things, and I would get to stuff and think, okay, I'm given five minutes for this. After a minute, they'd get it all. I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm kind of done now. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do with all this extra time? But I knew I had to keep you all together. Sometimes you all would take longer at getting some of the points out. Or you would have more questions throughout class. That is yeah. a and, common. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're very questionate. <laughs> yeah, you asked a lot of questions. Yeah. They didn't ask many questions at all. And so this would all extend out, and I'd be looking at the clock going, oh, i only got three minutes to finish this thing up. So quickly, there are five points I need to make, you know, and you can, like, spit them out. So you all got a very different, I think, the class would proceed differently mm-hmm. because of that than it has in the past. Yeah, one of my complaints about cold calls in general is, mm-hmm. like, when you're called on, you are you're being used as a tool. So you like, yeah. you may be having a conversation with one person in the class, but you're using that conversation to teach everyone. That's exactly. So right. like, I'm I try to be very quick on understanding like what our professors are looking for. Like, follow the script. Like, uh-huh. I have your script down pat. Like, I could take your class, and I know what it's, you expect. As I say, it's a deposition. On. Yeah, like, like, I'm, like, I'm ticking things off. Yeah. Like, so yeah. it just it bothers me when like where. It's in November, and someone gets called on in any class, and they're <laughs> and they not, don't know the script. Yeah, they're yeah. not following a script that our professor bothers laid me out. too. Yeah. So I'm like, have I not made it clear how I kind of do yeah. this at this point? You know, but you know, it's funny you say it about like the being the tool there, because you'll see like when you start litigating things, that's often what you are like on mm-hmm. appeal or motion hour, like especially an appeal if you've got a panel. The panel are using the lawyers to talk to each other because they haven't talked beforehand right. at all. Right. So you'll see they they talk about it, especially at the Supreme Court. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. what's happening. When I look at it, I'm like, she knows the answer to that. But she's really talking to Justice So-and-so yeah. sitting over yeah. there. And they're all working through the lawyer, you know. And, yeah, it's just class. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it never stops? Is what it never saying? stops, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go back. Let's talk about, so you did. You uh, were a clerk mm-hmm. for the Sixth Circuit. Sixth Circuit. Um, when did that happen? Right after law school. Right after law school. So what was that transition like? So... For your summers, what did you do for your summers? Let's do that first. Summers, so the first one I told you I did the small right, firm. Right, right. Then the second one I did behemoth firm. Yeah. Um, it's uh, typically thought of as the best bankruptcy firm in the world. And so like Lehman Brothers, yeah, yeah, yeah. AIG, all of the, Enron, we did all of the, that kind of work. Um, yeah. She's always from Texas. Yeah. Um, we did all, I mean, Enron was still going on. Gosh, when I left the firm, and that was like seven years after or so, after the yeah. bankruptcy yeah. was still going. Um, so, you know, two very different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got the clerkship during my third year. I think it was pretty late, like in, in November, for the, the way mm-hmm. that clerkship period worked, for how the hiring process worked. Um, but then going into the clerkship, um, it was mostly like law school continued, maybe a little bit like law school applied okay. in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was appellate clerkship, and generally that's how you always hear of some division between the appellate and the district. For the district's much more kind of, you know, tools on mm-hmm. the ground, and you, you feel like a lawyer, and you're really engaging with litigators and all that. No, I was still my ivory tower. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and I loved it. I mean, it, to me, it was great. It was just kind of taking law school and then, oh, okay, I've done all of this on the Fourth Amendment. Well, here's a Fourth Amendment case, yeah. and it's law. You're not really dealing with facts. You're trying to figure out how this fits in with precedent in some way. And the judge for whom I clerked, he had been a professor for 20 years. Okay, and yeah. so, and he was professorial. I mean, yeah. like he, 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 you think the, the Socratic method never ends. That, that was the entire clerkship. You know, it would, would be beginning with, he would start with really big questions. So I always talk about how during my interview, we had to talk about my law review note, and it was about predatory lending. And it was all about Kentucky's new statute, how it affected, uh, or how it looked like the federal statute and all mm-hmm. of this. And he begins the whole thing with, is there any such thing as predatory lending? And all I'm thinking is, God, I hope so. Because I wrote a note on it, you know. But he would start with these big questions. Right. Like, does the Fourth Amendment even apply? Should there be a Fourth Amendment? I mean, it, you know, you would start from there, and you would slowly work your way down to something. And 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 I was fortunate too, and I, that he was a, he is as smart as he is. Um, judges are smart people. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I mean, they're smart, but he was just on a different plane than yeah. the other ones were. I remember there was a comment about him in that's called the judicial the federal judicial almanac and it's this book essentially where they go out and they survey lawyers and they ask questions about the judge mm-hmm. and one of the comments on him that i thought was fair they said 
it, they said it's he's so smart it just doesn't feel fair <laughs> and I thought yeah that's kind of how the clerkship felt that you were always like oh I've never thought of it that way and you know taking you off into this new kind of dimension of a yeah. problem that you hadn't <laughs> hadn't encountered so for me it was very similar if there was any difference it was the difference in training from mm-hmm. the University of Kentucky versus my co-clerks who went to fancier law schools they were more grounded in theory. Okay. And so they tended to know scholarship better. Not completely, but, yeah, to some extent. You know, new originalist theories and constitutional uh-huh. interpretive theories much better than I did. Where ours was more doctrinal, you know, and I think it's more how I still kind of teach in a more doctrinal fashion, kind of lawyers on the ground kind mm-hmm. of um, uh, progress. But I-, I found that a little intimidating at first because they would start mentioning, like, so-and-so's theory, <laughs> or what is that theory? Or I'd, I'd heard about it, but I didn't know it that deeply, you know. But there were some benefits, too, because it would, you know, when it came down to certain things, like I remember Title Seven, I was the only one that knew how Title Seven and what you'll later learn is called the McDonnell-Douglas framework worked. So the judge was like, oh, none of them know it, can't, you need to teach them all. So, you know, sitting down and kind of like, right. okay, so here's what the law is. And I remember one of them sitting back later said, you actually know law. <laughs> and it was, it was one of those things at first, I was almost like, was that an... Is that a little insulting? Like, I couldn't a, yeah, tell. Yeah. Was it a jab or what? And I thought, no, <clears throat> I think it's very genuine mm-hmm. from them. That it was just a completely different way of knowing something. And I could, I think, more easily answer questions like, well, can they do that? No, you can't do that because of this problem over here. But they contributed too because, you know, mm-hmm. they could really sit down and go, well, but that's not consistent with this theory that we're seeing out of Justice Scalia or whatever it is. And so if we're trying to guess where this law is going to go, they had a good way of trying to get mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Um, but I loved everything about it. Yeah. There was just there was no downside to that job. <laughs> you know, at the time, I felt like I was making a lot of money. Um, I had enough free time. The work was just absolutely fascinating. I, I, I was just kind of like clawing my way into the door every day to get to work. Like, mm-hmm. I just couldn't get there early enough. He pretty much had to kick me out every day. I was there on the weekend. I loved everything about it. Um, and then you go to practice. And, you know, to me... Practice was not nearly as exciting yeah. as that. And some people love it. I mean, like, they, they love the energy of it. They like the fisticuffs of, <laughs> of practice. <laughs> I didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of it's kind of rote. It's kind of boring when you get into it. Those really, every, every last thing you do is kind of deeply interesting. That leaves you at the end of the clerkship. I mean, you're mm-hmm. just not seeing that when you get into practice. But there are trade-offs. You know, yeah. the money's better yeah. <laughs> for the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and you're really using different kinds of skills. And that can be a little hard, too. I mean... Yeah, I was really good at law school. Great. Well, the clerkship just confirmed it. I mean, it was the same kind of job, essentially. Practicing was different. I mean, I had to use and develop skill sets I didn't necessarily have, ways of being more concise about things, Um, thinking about business objectives as opposed to just legal objectives, Mm -hmm. thinking about bringing a client in at some point. I mean, they don't talk to you about law school. (laughs) You know, managing a law firm, what billables look like, Mm -hmm. putting a, you know, putting a, they call it the beauty show pageant, putting that all together when you're going out and trying to get a client. They don't do any of that. And so it was just kind of thinking in new ways, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which I think a lot of other students, people that maybe aren't as academically minded, enjoy. They like that better. I mean, I can tell you people when I told them I was going to come back and teach, why? Why would you <laughs> want to do that? You know, it's like, why wouldn't you want to do that? Right. You know, it's so just, you know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. Um, do you want to take a break? Yeah, okay. sure. All right, and we'll be right back. Bye. Bye. And we're back. Hi. So we just wrapped up talking about clerkships, and you said that there was kind of a shift going from your clerkship to practicing. So can you just expound on, like, the tension between the expectations of, like, what being a lawyer would be like and then what it was actually like? Because I think that that's one thing that we really struggle with. Like, we don't have lawyers in our families. And law school's cool, but we don't really have any idea what it's going to be like. Sure. I I think the two biggest differences were first, how little the law degree matters in the first year or two. You are a glorified paralegal. And indeed, the paralegals know a lot more than you do um, on the ground. And that, to me, was a little hard to take. Maybe I was just immature about it. But I remember thinking, I have a law degree. Mm -hmm. And I'm super smart. And I have a clerkship and all of this. Like, you should be sitting around kind of patting me on the head. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I should be being, being able to make these brilliant legal arguments, writing these great briefs. You should be wanting to kind of show me off as we're developing legal theories and all this. 
that's not what it was. <laughs> it, it was a it was a lot of scheduling conference calls, putting documents together, drafting memos that summarized documents, somewhat doing strategic memos. Not a lot of that, and a little bit of that. More summaries mm-hmm. of things. I mean, there was one of the first things I was involved in was an internal investigation, and I was essentially the um, transcriptionist for. 100 interviews where I would go and I was typing about as fast as I could through the whole thing and then I was supposed to clean those all up write summaries of them it just where was the law and all yeah. of this and it, it, it was driving me crazy at the time um, scheduling the conference calls as I said I kept thinking why is my assistant not doing this what did I need a JD for to schedule a conference call and set up you know set something like that up um, it, it bothered me a bit and then you know stepping back from it now I look at it and go oh you're just you know such an ingrate really I mean (laughs) part of it is you know wanting to be treated the way you'd kind of been treated right you were special in law school and special in the clerkship the lawyers would kind of like bow down to you when you came into the courtroom because you had some kind of control over the case and then getting there and you're the lowest person on the totem pole really it's 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 kind of jarring when you go in um but then realizing too there was a whole lot to learn in that mm-hmm. process, and I just wasn't mature enough to see what it was. It looked to me at the time like it was holding me back from everything. I thought, oh, I'm getting stuck in like this dead end stuff you always hear about at large law firms, and you know this isn't helping my career at all. No, it was. It really was because it was again fixating on a skill that I didn't have. So like you know transcribing, putting those summaries together. No, it was a good idea. Why? It was about factual development. You don't do a lot of that in law school, right? Mm-hmm. You're doing yeah. legal elements and theory, and you're always like, giving a hypothetical of assumed facts, and you move into this. Well, this was the exact opposite. We had no idea what had actually happened, and it took us a good three months to even work out basically what happened mm-hmm. by talking to 80 people and looking at a million documents, you know, and kind of putting it all together. And we did have a pretty compar- compelling narrative when it was all said and done. But I didn't understand all the work that went into that. And I think part of it was also me not having as much interest in that. I like law better than I like facts. And you, you will, you'll figure out for yourselves which one you like better. A lot of students actually love factual development much more than legal development. And I think it tends to separate even out the appellate clerks and the district court clerks too, if, if you prefer one of those things. Um, it was good that they made me do that. And they probably should have made me do even a little bit more, honestly. <laughs> it, it, it was the right thing to do. Now, scheduling the conference calls, I still can't justify that. I, I, why I had to do it, I don't know. I, I, what I think happens is it's more senior lawyers feel comfortable with more junior lawyers. A little, some, some, something about kind of trust and holding somebody accountable to something. And then it's just a kind of a pyramid scheme that keeps working its way down. As those people become senior, well, they got called on to do yeah. that. And so right, they'll do the right. same yeah. thing kind of going down. Um, that was one. The second thing I said that was unexpected maybe to me, and I don't know that it should have been, is how sometimes the focus really wasn't on what the legal result was. It really is the business case. It really is figuring out just how to make the problem go away. And when I first got there, that was deeply uninteresting to me. I wanted to, like, develop precedent. Like, yeah. I wanted to be the one, like, we're taking this to the Fifth Circuit. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. The client never wants to take anything to the Fifth Circuit. That's, right. They just want the problem to go away, you know. And I didn't appreciate that really till about the very end of practice. And then I kind of started enjoying it. Like, it was kind of fun to sit down and go, okay, how are we going to get what... There's always something that looks like a mountain in front of you. How are we going to get around that mountain? Mm-hmm. And it can take months to figure out how you might do it, but there's usually a way right. that you can do this. Or you at least have to tell the client, well, go buy hiking gear, because this is what we're going to have to you know, cross to get to where you want to go. I think other people may come in, and that's interesting to them, and they see it right away. It was not for me. And again, it's something where... I kind of wish somebody at the firm had sat me down and said kind of early on, so here's what's happening. Yeah. No, no one cares about the law, really. What they care about <laughs> is solving this problem right. and keeping the client happy and bringing, them telling another client, look, they got rid of my problem, you know, within the confines of the law, of course, of doing it. Um, I, I wish I'd had that understanding a little better of what this looked like. Um, I, and I also think had I stayed at the law firm, I would have liked it better as it went. I, and I could already kind of tell that. You, you were starting to get a little more control of your life, kind of picking some of the issues you wanted a little more to deal with. Um, I, I think that part would have gotten better, but I, I don't know that I handled it the best, as maybe other people do. How long were you in practice? 
So I was at that firm for three years, and then I went to a plaintiff's firm for about another year after that, and then started teaching after that. Right. So what did that transition look like? Like, when did you first get the inkling that you might want to teach? I had, well, I've told this to people before, (laughs) that I had always wanted to teach. And, um, you know, I had mentioned stuff to people at Kentucky, Mm -hmm. and I'd always kind of gotten this, "Mm, kind of, (laughs) why, are you sure, kind of stuff. And then when I mentioned the same things we get when we say we want to go to law school. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, do you know what you're doing? Yeah, you know. Um, And then I had mentioned to people, I think during my third year, if I remember right, and I always say I talked to two people who obviously had talked together because I said the exact same thing, which was you went to Kentucky, no one cares what you think, let the dream die. And Mm -hmm. I had seen some evidence that essentially only the Harvard, Stanford, Yales, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of milieu gets hired as law professors and I thought okay they're probably right you know it, it kind of hurt at the time but the, I, I did recognize instantly that they had my best interest at heart right, and they right. were trying to kind of protect me from the world you know of knowing this path is probably not going to be successful try something else instead so I did and then Kentucky created what's called a visiting assistant professor program and so for those who don't know what that is that is um, a program that's usually a two-year program at universities and the law schools will set it up where you spend one year essentially writing and maybe teaching a class or so and then the second year you go on the national market and you have no idea where you're going to end up and they're hoping that you get hired from this and that you make that law school look better because now, look, they've sent out either their graduate or their VAP, their visiting mm-hmm. assistant professor, into the world. Kentucky just created that. They called me up. They said something along the lines of the faculty's talk. They'd like you to come do it. And in perhaps not my most thoughtful moment, it was pretty rash. I was like, yep, we'll do it. <laughs> we put our house on the market that day. We sold oh it two God. days later. <laughs> we, my, Our parents like found us uh, a rental unit like up in Kentucky. And within a month, we were up there, set up the whole thing. And I said, yeah, within a month, I'd started working and you know started writing at that point. It just threw myself in. And at the time... I, I don't advise this to anybody. I, I didn't even really know what I was going to be doing. Like yeah. they, they hadn't even set up which classes I was teaching yet. Um, I didn't really know exactly what my, my research focus, I had some ideas, mm-hmm. but exactly what my research focus was going to be. I just knew I wanted to do this and I was going to make it happen one way or the other. And essentially for the next two years, that's what I did. I threw myself absolutely into it. And, you know, I, at the, that point I was married with two children and I'm still married with two children. Yeah. But I, had, I, had, I had two children at the point. And that kind of puts the fear of God into you, too. Like, right. these kids have to eat. Right. And, you know, what am I going to do? And so it really encouraged you to just, okay, it's time to work on even another draft and do this other thing. And my evaluations have to be spotless. And it's just a lot of pressure. Um, but then this all worked out. Yeah. Here I am. You know? I will say that that was one thing that I really liked for semesters. When you What's think that? of professors, you think of, like, they had to go to a top 14 and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, and both you and Birch didn't. And yeah. so that was like, okay, so doors aren't closed yeah. for me yeah, yeah, just yeah. because this is where I'm at. That's right. So I think that was really nice. They're not, they're not closed. And, and I will tell you, like when I was, went back as a VAP, I, I, there, were, there were faculty there who were, they were definitely supportive. But I think expectations were extremely low. And I heard, you know, I remember one person coming in and saying, you know, if you're lucky, you might get an unaccredited school. I mean, this, yeah, thanks. Cool. You know? Okay. And it's another one of those, too. Like, it was kind of harsh, but I think the person was being genuine. Yeah. That they had gone through the market. They had seen, you know, the applications coming through. They, they knew what it looked like, too. What helped me and what I would suggest to other people is you think about other ways of hitting that market. So, mm-hmm. you know, for instance, if you're interested in it. Getting a PhD helps a whole lot now. A whole, I mean, they actually break out these figures now, and I can't remember what the number is, but it's very high now. People that have advanced degrees, um, economics is the big one. Poli sci is a good one. Some psychology, the, those tend to be the big ones, I guess. Um, that helps, or subject matter. So you know, I went in as um, essentially um, commercial, so contracts. Professors don't like teaching contracts as well. So it's harder to fill that spot. Um, it's a little easier usually to fill CivPro 
than it is contracts. Really? Yeah, that's usually a little bit easier because it dovetails with the people who teach con law, okay, yeah, yeah, fed yeah. court, right, all right. of that. Um, and I could go in very plausibly, but kind of accidentally, as bankruptcy, secure transactions. Mm. Nobody can fill bankruptcy and secure transactions. Perennially on the market, it's the, the opening. And I'd been to the world's top bankruptcy firm. And, you know, I had practiced in these areas. I'd actually written a note in these areas. Like, everything in my narrative told a really good story. Mm -hmm. And I would tell you that's part of it. If you're thinking about going on the market, it's being able to craft that narrative and be more thoughtful than I was. Start planning it early on. It is possible, but you need to be thoughtful in doing it. Mm -hmm. Don't think, oh, I went to the University of Georgia. I did moderately well. (laughs) No one's going to give you the time of day. It's getting those additional, those additional credentials that are somewhat, I've heard them referred to as like cleansing, to kind of oh. to cleanse the UGA off oh, of you, you know, the UK <laughs> off of me. The Sixth Circuit clerkship yeah. helped. That was one right. for me. Working at Wagacho, mm-hmm. that helped. Um, same thing if you one gets a PhD, that kind of stuff that, that helps. Or an LLM in tax. Tax is another really big area that's hard to fill. Um, but if you're UGA, I would tell you, you know, if, if you're thinking you want to do con law, I won't tell you no. But it's going to be a really, really steep climb. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd want to see you with a circuit clerkship, probably a Supreme Court clerkship. Um, and even then, may or may not have ended up at a top 50 school. Like it's, it's so competitive. I mean, what's also changing on our end is how many publications you have to have mm-hmm. coming in. So like when I did it, I, you wanted one to two. You know, it wasn't too bad. You know, when Justice Breyer did it, it was none. Yeah. He didn't write anything until six years in and then got tenure off of it. You know, that, that type of, <laughs> yeah. the years are probably wrong, but roughly, that's right. 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 Um, but now, you know, coming in with two, that would be low. I would expect kind of three or four for most of our candidates that we're looking at, um, especially in anything like constitutional law. Mm-hmm. And then I was fortunate here that, you know, my research was really more administrative law. And I wrote it in a way where I could say to people, no, I'm really commercial. This one just happens to have an admin right. kind of <laughs> bent to it. But Georgia was like, no, we can use admin too. So everything worked out. Good it, it did. It, everything worked out perfectly for me. But I try to let people know, be thoughtful about it and go in with eyes wide open. Just because it worked out for me like this, I can't tell many people I've known where it has not worked out. And you just have to think, how can I put myself in the best place to do this? That makes sense. Yeah, so as a professor, mm-hmm. contracts, yep. we take you for contracts. Yeah. Is there a concept, a particular concept that you think is difficult for what else? I'm sure you told us at some point, but I'm just curious, like, oh, one that stands out. Contracts. <laughs> Damages. Damages. That's why you start with it. In part, yeah, because it's the thing students struggle with the most. Um, and, and I think part of the reason is the books don't do a very good job at all in mm. yeah. really saying what this means on the ground and putting it into effect. I think they're also just scared of math. And so there's almost a block when yeah. they first see it. Um, th- yeah, that's that tends to be the one in contracts probably that comes up the Damages, most. Okay. Yeah, administrative law, I can give you a lot more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> those are the ones that tend to do, it's very theoretical. Yeah. So it tends to be those where they kind of, goes through one year out the other and you're not sure what you were supposed to have gotten out of that. Yeah, we have a couple of friends in that class. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> they can commiserate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I have one more question. Wait, Joy, do you want to ask the funny question? What's the funny question? <laughs> the funny question is, I don't remember, I don't know if you remember this, but at orientation, you, have to, you yeah. told us how to prepare and how to read for law school. Mm-hmm. And the words that you said <laughs> what I say? were, you'll have roughly 12 pages of reading uh-huh. for class. each class yeah. per uh-huh. night. And I don't know if you looked over your syllabus. <laughs> <laughs> How much is it? It was like, there were days where we had like 35 pages. Really? Yeah. yeah. And I was That's like, that is lot. three times. I think 20, <laughs> I can do that now. 25 is the average, I think. Right. Really? Is it yes. that high? Yes. yes. And huh. so I understand, you know, there's a lot to get through. And uh-huh. we got right. through a lot of it. Uh-huh. But hearing that, I was like... Oh, okay. Like, right. I can, can do, do this. That. Yeah. We can okay, do so that. I need to revise the script. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, so I need to say 25 to 30. Yes. Okay. Because I think really, it's only, that high. Yeah, the only oh, class we consistently had 12 pages in was, was like torts. Torts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Sunday. Hey, so um, we got cut off because spam phone calls are the bane of my existence. <laughs> um, but so we're back. Professor Barnett, thanks for being with us again. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about like work-life balance. Okay. So what's it like, or what was it like, I guess, working in big law, like having us like this budding family 
And then what does that transition look like now that you're, you know, a professor, your work life is probably a little less hectic than it was um, working at a giant law firm. Well, when I was at the large law firm, I was only married at that point, so I didn't have children. And and I can come back to how people did do it all with children. But um, I think the perhaps biggest misconception of it is that people tend to think, oh, you must be working every hour of the day. Mm -hmm. No, it's not quite that, at least not usually, if you're not in the middle of like a summary judgment briefing or a deal closing or something. Um, Where I think the the big well life becomes more distressing to someone in the middle of it is you can't plan anything in your life. You are essentially on call. They have, there's a reason they pay you so much. They have bought your soul and you know, they, they want you to be ready at a moment's notice. And if you're a, a client who's paying, you know, for this little 1L, $350, $400 an hour, yeah, they're going to kind of bark when you say bark, you know, and be ready to do anything. Um, I found that hard, that I just couldn't plan anything in my life. Like every vacation, something would seem to come up. Um, just buying tickets to an event. It was dicey. Was I going to get to go or not? And they used to actually encourage us at the, the orientation, go ahead and buy the tickets. You know, you can probably go three out of four times, that kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know, I'm cheap. The idea that I would buy things and I get to use them, it, it was, uh, you know, it disincentivized me to, to go do that thing. Um, and I think it can have an effect, of course, on, you know, family life or a, with a partner or mm-hmm. something like that. So for my wife and I, we essentially just sat down and said, look, we know what we're getting into. So we're not going to complain about it. This is what our life is. She had started a new job because we'd moved there. She threw herself into it. She understood I wasn't home most dinners at all. Um, we maybe had breakfast together. I don't even know if we did that. Um, and we would see each other kind of on the weekends. And we'd go to a nice dinner usually on right. the weekends. And that was life. And we just understood this mm-hmm. is, you know, what we had accepted that we were going to do in order to pay off, you know, some debts and put some money away and all that kind of thing. And part of it, too, is I'll say the longer you're there, the more of a culture that you've become a part of. Everyone yeah. does this. I mean, it feels normal. It feels weird to hear people say they go home for dinner. Why mm-hmm. would you do that? You know, don't you have <laughs> stuff to be doing? You know, um, everyone is essentially on the same kind of track. And as you get older, you do get more control. And indeed, I had some that were more senior associates at the time telling me it gets better. Like, cause you can push it down. You know, yeah. to somebody else down, down below. Um, <laughs> like, ruin their lives. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know? And I will say, like, even at the time I was leaving the firm there, I could feel some difference. That I could push a little bit down, but still, you're on call. And yeah. and I think it's almost harder in some ways than like a doctor, because for the doctor, okay, you're on call for two days, but then you're off. I think the really hard thing about law is you're never off. The burnout. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, I, I, had, I can't tell you how many times I had to do something in the middle of a weekend. It might only be an hour or two, um, but it kind of just threw off your whole weekend. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you were kind of trying to do something, but you had to run home. And at the time, y- y- there really was no internet, like on um, uh, Blackberries. So you'd have to go home, and hopefully everything would connect. And for some reason, that's the one time the Wi-Fi didn't work, and then you'd have to go into the office and right. do it and all of that. That part is what I found difficult. When I transferred over to the plaintiff side, there was already a difference. It was much more structured. People went home at five. It was just kind of, of course you would. Why wouldn't you do it? You know, but no, but they also weren't paying me as much. Right. So you know, there's a little bit of the more they're paying you, I can hire somebody to go take my dry cleaning in and to go grocery <laughs> shop for me and to take the dog and you know all that. Whereas when you're making less money, well, they know you can't just have people doing all this stuff to kind of carry on right, with their right. life as <laughs> you go. Uh, that, uh, Professor Birch told us that in class yeah. one day. She said, really? just want you to know, work-life balance is crap. It doesn't Does exist. exist. Yeah. Once you're at that level and you have the money, you pay people to do the things you don't have time to do. She's exactly right. And I, I, I wrote that on my notes and I was like, pay people. To do <laughs> she, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. exactly right. And I'll tell you, like, I remember maybe like three months in or so. It was pretty early. And I, I went to the grocery store. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed going to the grocery <laughs> store. Like, it, it was almost kind of like a world I'd forgotten about. Like, I got to go into it, and I got to buy things, and I could slowly look at something and, and, and not have to have my brain on, really. You know? I mean, it, and it, there is some exhaustion that comes with it. And, and I, I don't know that I completely understood that at the time. But, you know, you're still having to be on all of the time and having to come up with creative ideas and not wasting any time yeah. and yeah. being honestly kind of perfect. I mean, you know, no typos, that kind of thing. 
it's exhausting to have your brain on the entire time and never feeling like you can shut off. And I think Professor Burgess is just right. I mean, when you're paying for all the people to do stuff, well, that's normally when you would have your brain off Mm -hmm. for a little bit, right? Taking the dry cleaning in, picking up the kids, something like that. You know, and I saw people with families there. I mean, they did it. Several of the women became partners. But I never really wanted that life that I saw. I mean, they, they, I think almost all of the women who became partners, there were several, there were a lot. I think they all had three kids. I mean, they had good-sized yeah. families. Yeah. Um, but they always had two to three nannies mm-hmm. yeah. around the clock who could just, at a moment's notice, could not only take care of the kids, but they did everything in the house. Right. You know, they were essentially like house managers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that might be fine for them, but I, I actually kind of looked at it, and I'm sure they disagree. But I looked at it like, well, I have the kids. I mean, right. you're, you're never really seeing them. Mm-hmm. But they can give their kids great opportunities. I mean, they went to the best of the private schools. I remember for, like, colleges, they never had to think about it. Their kids yeah. could go to any school. It didn't matter. They could pay for it. Um, you know, that wasn't the life I was wanting for it. And then, so when we did have kids, that wasn't until I was at the plaintiff's sperm. And that's hard. Even, I mean, twins doesn't make it easier. Yeah. <laughs> but just the sleep deprivation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. nothing's as much fun as doing a deposition when you haven't slept. Right. And you're, it's an expert on the one side. And you're supposed to be understanding what he or she is saying. <laughs> and it's, it's tiring, you know. Right. You have to kind of get through it. Um, professor? Professor is different. I still work a lot. But it's the exact opposite of the law firm. I have almost complete control of my schedule. Right. Mm. So I can do things whenever I want to do them. If I have to go pick up the kids, I don't very often, but I can <laughs> if I want to. Um, you know, I actually do send a family member to go do it most of the yeah. time. But the part that's hard that I don't think people appreciate enough, um, and I mean this for people who even start down the track with mm-hmm. it a bit, you have to be completely self-motivated. You are essentially just locked in a room, and you choose kind of when to open the door back and forth. And no one's going to really say anything to you until your tenure clock comes up in five years. Did you do enough? You know, <laughs> hopefully you were able to kind of figure it out. You know, every day you could always kind of go, eh, I'll do that tomorrow. Right. There's nothing really pressing it's about it. every day. Yeah, I was Is it you? Yeah. 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 Like being a student. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I need to get a job. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'll yeah. send something right. out. You know, <laughs> this is really, you know, like during the summer, I work, I always tell people, I think in the summer more than I do during the school year because I have to put out essentially half a book every year. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of work. And so I've got to come in and sometimes it can be hard to explain it to my wife that it's summer. And I'm like, yeah, but I got to get right. a thousand words done today so I can get a thousand done the next day. The next day. And I have to get this ready because it's for a conference that's coming up and it has to be ready. I think that's hard for people to kind of get used to. But, you know, for me, just having the control, much happier, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and there are, it is less work. I mean, at the firm, it wasn't, uh, unusual to work 70, 80 hours billables, you know, in a week. And that's a lot of, I mean, you're not doing anything except going home and sleeping and then coming back mm-hmm. to work right. again. Um, but here, no, you know, I probably work, I work no less than 50 hours a week, 60 time to time when stuff's happening, but it's not 80 hours. And, you know, I can take vacations and I don't have to return your call in the middle of vacation. Yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> you know, it's right. all this, and I, you just have a different, um, a, a different kind of freedom. And, you know, there's a, professor too it's always funny to me but there's like this different kind of prestige level with it too that's i always found just bizarre because i still felt young coming out of law school who am i you know but you know you have 60 year old men looking at you going oh professor (laughs) (laughs) just can't you know (laughs) you've been doing this for so much longer than i have um but it allows you to kind of keep a little more space between people too Mm -hmm. you know it's like you're like chasing for business and all of this too so long-winded way. Right, no, yeah, no, we we needed the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also I'm curious, like, uh, what is your relationship with your colleagues? Like, here, do you collaborate? I mean, uh, working in a firm, I mean, you're always with, you know, there's a lot going on, all people working together on one thing. So what is that like here? I, I, I mean, yeah. we think about, like, <laughs> like I don't know, I just imagine, like, Professor Wells, for instance, like, what is his life like with other, like, interacting with other professors? Um, so I can go days where I don't talk to anybody else. Um, and that's a dream. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you are cloistered. I mean, yeah. and, and it depends. I, I think so. Like if you looked at some of my colleagues, they work from home really well. Mm-hmm. I don't work from home well okay. at all. So I'm, he- that's why people think I have no life and I don't have a life, but you know, <laughs> I'm here constantly because this right. is where I, I do work. Um, you know, I might see a typical day, three of my colleagues and chat for five to 10 minutes. 
that's it. Yeah. The rest of the time, I am sitting in here, maybe interacting with my assistant a little bit. Maybe the dean drops by once a month kind of thing, once a week, somewhere in there. Um, but that's it, you know. And I like it. Yeah. I sit here. I write. I read. Um, I have much more involvement with students than I do my colleagues. I mean, there's there's some of my colleagues. I mean, it'll be kind of a joke between us that we only see each other at faculty meetings. Like, they're in a different building. Yeah. If you're not on the same class schedules, you don't interact. If you're not on the same committees, you don't see each other. So we're very isolated. I mean, it's kind of like... It's, I always thought it was a little bit like the way they described the Supreme Court, where they say it's like nine different law firms uh, yeah. all, you know, operating autonomously. And that's kind of what this feels like. We're all on our own little paths. Um, but like, uh, like scholarly collaboration? No. I have co-authors at other institutions, and mm-hmm. I have one over at the political science school that I've done work with. Um, but that's a... And, it, and it's, overall, I'd say that's kind of rare. That yeah. you would have like co-authorship and things of that nature, and you know, like I told you with classes, we don't organize or coordinate on the classes mm-hmm. really at all. I mean, you know, <laughs> the associate deans tell us a little bit like do this, don't do this, and that's about it, and that's I, all. It's just different kind of. I I guess like university level, you have like a department of like history, yeah, and these people are you know they they collaborate, they work together, they they have their own niches, but you know mm-hmm. it's very much like a department. And I guess that just doesn't exist at the legal level. No, we're always the strange one out though. Like I'll tell you, like when I'm at university functions, like they're always talking about chairs and their departments uh, and. Mm-hmm. What is that? Like, we, we don't. Do, we're the only school where you know it's only one dean right, for everybody. Right. There, there are no departments within it. Um, I don't know why it is. We we do tend to function more autonomously mm-hmm. than the others, but I my understanding is that's consistent. It works, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's. You know, we've we've talked a lot. Um, we really appreciate. It. Do you have any questions for us or anything? You don't have to. I'm trying to think of new ones. I'm curious. What's your favorite class right now? Uh, oh, it's a. It's, oh, it's tough. But for me, it's between con law and crim. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different, isn't mm-hmm. it? It is very different. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. very different. What about you, Joy? Definitely con law. Con law. Yeah. It's nice getting out of the common law classes mm-hmm. for a while yeah. and doing it something is. different. It's oh something God. a little bit bigger, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the problem is, it, I tended to think it's the most interesting class but the class in real practice you will almost never see right. <laughs> you know unless you're in pretty sophisticated mm-hmm. niches right. of getting into it um, and I've always hoped it doesn't oversell the, the legal experience <laughs> you know where you think oh right. I'll be in you know this sixth amendment issue right. kind of thing that's pretty rare to do something <laughs> along those lines or to the extent you're arguing those kinds of things they tend to be the things that I think law students tend to find the most boring like stuff yeah. I liked the, the structural like commerce clause comes up yeah. I mean if you're doing you know large law firm right. work in some way I mean the, the issues that we talk about in con law seems like to matter uh-huh. <laughs> yeah like yeah. the way that we apply the commerce clause to like do like civil rights legislation mm-hmm. not legislation obviously um well, yeah, well, it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, like that stuff like matters in the big picture, uh-huh. whereas like an individual contract case may not be as like sexy. Right. You know? it, it, no, it's exactly yeah. right. And you'll see when you, when you when you flip to practice, if you're like what we hear quite a bit, and I think the way I kind of thought too while I was in the middle of practice, why are you wasting all that time on con law? Because you don't do that. <laughs> right. What you do are the contract cases right, right. and a lot of discovery issues and how do those work out? And yeah. so, you know, you'll hear from the bar quite a bit to us. Why are you all working kind of from a scholarly point of view on these things that just don't matter, that don't right. come up? I need people that know how to work through these discovery issues. And I'm having this evidence issue and mm-hmm. that they want very specific kind of right. answer our question kind, <laughs> of, kind of research. And we don't do that. And then you're also hearing from others within the academy that we're pushing public law too much, meaning constitutional law, administrative law, some criminal law. Instead, what really matters to most lawyers, private law. It's contracts, torts, things of that nature. Um, but you'll see at most law schools, that's the smallest part of the faculty. Right? Mm. Con law is sexy. It's like you said, it's interesting. So like right. if you bring faculty members through for hiring, well, who's going to be able to tell the more interesting job talk? 
it's the one that can say something about con law and mm-hmm. public right. events and all of this yeah. versus tax. I mean, you know, <laughs> who's, who's going to be really bringing out the most interest right. in something that people can, oh, I can relate to that. I can right. understand that mm-hmm. argument, you know. So, I think for me, part of it is just like the structure. I just like Uh-oh. classes that feel more structured in general. Mm-hmm. Like, I think mm-hmm. I like contracts because it was very structured. Mm-hmm. And I was never like, where are we going yeah. next? Uh-huh. It was like, there's only so many places you can right. go. Uh-huh. Um, and I think con law is kind of the same. Yeah. Especially because just like the way that there are only so many types of arguments you can make. And you can frame mm-hmm. them different ways. But it's like... You, but you've got your originalist, your textualist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 You're working within like a very particular framework. Mm-hmm. And yeah. That's right. The, and they're also both grounded in something. So right. like... Whereas property is like, oh, it's like a mishmash of contract law, torts, and criminal law. Like, what it, is property? What, who even uh-huh. know why? Why yeah. own something? Yeah. But then the con- the Constitution, like, it exists, and you can read it, and you can have <laughs> arguments based on, like, these three lines. Right. And yeah. it's just things that we can, like, actually grab onto, whereas property is, like... Either. Oh, and you'll say like when you, when you take administrative <laughs> later on. Um, I think that's actually what gives students a lot of pause. But I will tell you, it's something I kind of learned to enjoy. The, mm-hmm. Is you'll go through it like we were just talking about something today, actually, where the court announces something. Is it constitutional? Is it statutory? Is it common law? Where did they? Where did it come from? No idea. They don't say <laughs> at all. And then you're really left with this kind of quandary of mm-hmm. well, if it's constitutional, how did they create? Where did where? Are they getting it from? Well, if it's statutory, what statute would it right. be? Common law. There isn't federal common law. So where does this come from? I mean, where you're left a lot with these kind of puzzles. Of, and talk about a mishmash. It's yeah. a common law statutes, con law. They're all kind of like just thrown together <laughs> right. in some ways. Um, I think as you keep going, that'll end up becoming more fun to you. Right. Of seeing like, hmm, this is actually a lot of tools to play with. Yeah. You know, <laughs> thinking about how to frame this and where to go Well, I can't it. wait for that to happen. Cause... Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's going to get there. Yeah. We said... What we, are you doing in property right now? Solid question. Um, possession. Yeah. You're in possession, possession right now? Yeah. yeah we like, just are you doing, like, the Indian tribes and the Americans come, or the Europeans no. coming over? To no. America? We just did a baseball oh, no. case. The Barry Bonds case. Like, he... Someone... That was after my time. <laughs> 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 no, uh, it's... He hit the, rec- the record-breaking, like, his 73rd home run. Okay. And so... Everyone knew it was probably going to happen that game. So there's people standing where he hits home runs with gloves waiting to catch it. So one guy jump, everyone jumps up. He catches it. Yeah. Comes out of the ground. There's somewhat of a melee. Okay. And then someone else comes up with it, holding the ball. And it's like, I who's see. the owner? Who I owns see. it? Uh-huh. So there's this yeah. whole litigation, like 18 months. Really? Over this multi-million dollar ball they're going to sell. God, that's like made for law school. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, that's really what it's in the documentary. Really? And then they end up just like cutting the baby in half. Yeah. They each get half of it and they only sell it for $450,000. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be more like the Seinfeld episode. Yeah. Where he actually threatens to cut it in half. Uh, <laughs> he never loves it more and gives it away yeah. to right. the next one. That's the real odor to it. Yeah. So now, wait till you get to, are you going to do future interests? he told you uh, I don't know. The, the syllabus uh, is just like a schedule of sections in the book to read, oh, did so you? it's not yeah. entirely oh I hope you get to do future interest that was my favorite thing yeah. I think maybe in all of law school wow. I, most people hate it <laughs> uh, you talk about like a game like there's only so many ways to. Like, it's one of those I don't remember it all now but like there will be a sentence that'll say like uh, from O with a reversion to P mm-hmm. kind of thing and it's all based on the language that creates the interest. And if you change one word, the interest shifts. Wait, is that why we do logic puzzles on the LSAT? <laughs> I think so, really. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. I was terrible at those logic puzzles. I was great at this. Like, it was one of those things I was like, if I could find a job where I just sat in a room doing nothing but future yeah. interest problems the rest of my life, I would take it in a heartbeat. I love it. But it, and it's like all this antiquated stuff from Britain, yeah. essentially, about how yeah. they transferred property things. And it only has kind of marginal relevance today, but God, did I love it. You know? <laughs> and maybe most students, like, it was the bane of their existence. They, that's the thing they will look back on and go, that's what I hated in law school. Yeah. I loved it. Uh, so I don't know if you all do or not, because I'm not even sure how much the bar even does with it anymore. Mm, because it's oh, so yeah. antiquated. But anyway. Well, thanks again, Thank Professor you. Barnett. Sure. Thank you all. Um, Okay, so go listen to our podcast. And, um, well, you already listened to the podcast. You already listened to the other ones. So. Um, like us on social media. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.